Welcome to Real Wealth, Real Health, the show that empowers you with insights, information, and inspiration to achieve your version of financial wellness. Learn how to balance living a full life today with planning for the future. This podcast is brought to you by Alpha Investing, a real estate-centric private capital network that provides exclusive investment opportunities to its members. And now, here are your hosts, Ada Piedrico and Daniel Coca. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Real Wealth, Real Health. Today, our guest is Jennifer Frisk. Jen is a senior managing director in Newmark Knight Frank's downtown Los Angeles office, where she specializes in strategic advisory services. Jen has 13 years of experience working on behalf of tenants, principals, and landlords throughout the world, and she currently manages real estate transactions for clients throughout Southern California and across the nation. We speak about the state of the office in commercial real estate from a tenant and landlord's perspective and examine some of the key emerging trends by submarket across the country. Jen's experience and expertise offers a precise and insightful look at how the office sector is poised to emerge from the lockdown. We also examine the changing requirements of office spaces And we discuss the impact that working from home has had on people's productivity, how the increasing progress in and attention paid to mental health and wellness is impacting the office space. And Jen also gives us a sneak peek into predicting the ways employers will have to change their attitudes towards workers in the office and how various firms' approaches will affect the return of the office in commercial real estate. Jen, welcome to the podcast. We are so excited to have you. You know, you are the senior managing director at Newmark. You are a commercial real estate broker who reps tenants for their office leasing needs. And I think that this comes at such a wonderful time as, you know, it feels like we're coming out of the pandemic. Certainly there's a lot of talk about going back to work and what that looks like. And you know, you've been in this space for a really long time, even pre-pandemic. So you know, I'm really looking forward to like diving into like a few different topics. But before we get started, could you kind of give in your own words, like a quick background on, you know, on who you are? Sure. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. Very excited to be here. I've been in the commercial real estate space going on two decades now, starting on the principal side, representing landlords, and then moving into what we do now, which is primarily the tenant rep side as it relates to office leasing, some investment sales, primarily for office space, a little bit of retail, a little bit of industrial, all thrown in for fun. Our team has been together for a little over six years now. At Newmark, we also have our own brand, officecreated.com, and that was really born out of an idea and really a want to set ourselves apart and not just to focus on what people need from a square footage standpoint or number of offices, but really to dive into a company culture and be able to help companies realize the fact that space can be kind of a reflection of culture and also a proponent of culture and, you know, how those things really tie together. And I think all of that, even though the pandemic has brought us all home, all of that has really been exacerbated by what's happened in the last 13 months. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like really looking forward to diving into the whole design piece and, and design as a function of wellness in a way and, and productivity and, and, and just like the way that we're so interconnected with our work these days. But before we go there, I thought it'd be really good to start with, you know, basically where you just left off just saying like the past 13 months have been life-changing and, you know, of the, the different asset classes within real estate, like from our side as investors, it, the one of the ones that got hit and slowed down or the most wor- people were most worried about is office. So, you know, things were flying, like everything was like going great up until 13 months ago. So from your experience, like, you know, what happened? What, what was your experience in the pandemic? Oh my gosh. What hasn't happened? I, I mean, look, every, we all went home and we, we kind of joked to each other, right? We're going to go home for two weeks and we'll all be back. And that obviously didn't happen. So I think we've kind of looked at this all along in the different phases of COVID, right? There was the phase of, we all don't know what happened. Let's just ask for rent relief or let's just stop paying our rent and landlords will help us and we can't get to our offices. So they have to give us free rent. And that really didn't happen across the board. And then that quickly transitioned into, all right, we're going to plan to go back to the office and it's going to include plexiglass and all these weird schedules and all these weird floor markers. And you could only walk in a conference room one way Chairs were going to tape, be taped off. Like it was going to be this whole thing. And then a, a, a few clients and a few companies did pay for that and asking them now, they say they wish they hadn't because obviously that didn't come to fruition either. And then we kind of got into this, I will call it a lull of kind of working from home, you know, managing through a crisis as I like to call it, as opposed to working from home because none of us were really that efficient, I think, or that functional. And as we've come into kind of the new year and just spring and new administration and vaccines, we are really looking at a true return to the office, a true new working model, what all of that means. And I think one of the interesting things actually from an investor standpoint is throughout all of those phases, landlords have remained really bullish. They have held face rates. They have offered, you know, additional concessions and there's been deals that have been made very aggressively, primarily on the sublease market. But from an investment standpoint, landlords have not wavered much on asking rates, on rent concessions. Almost 95% of our office clients that did get help got rent deferral, not rent relief. So it's been, I think if, you know, if you'd asked us last April, if that was going to be the trend, we wouldn't have guessed, we wouldn't have guessed that, but that's been actually kind of one consistent compared to all of what tenants have worked through in all of these different phases. Okay. So, okay. That's so that interesting. Your question? <laughs> oh no, it does. I mean, there's, there's so much, there's so much there to, you know, like to really, to really think about, cause I'm also thinking about the way at alpha, you know, we went in the beginning of the year. I mean, we were raising our first fund. Like we had uh, deals we were underwriting, you know, Q2 had a few deals that we were going to present and then, you know, full stop full lull, definitely did not expect the growth or the momentum that built up starting for us last summer. That's when our momentum really, really started to build. And to your point, this bullishness in the market, even from an investor perspective, I think has taken everybody 
by surprise. It certainly took us by surprise. And so from, from the perspective of some of your, your clients, you know, who was, I'm kind of curious who was thinking about and wanting to implement that plexiglass right away. Like what kind of companies were like, no, I'm definitely staying in the office. And, and then like you said, like, obviously that didn't work out, but who were, what kind of companies or tenants rather were those? I would actually put it less on the type of tenant and more on the geography when it comes to that. I don't know, Daniel, if you're in LA also, but being in LA, and I think we all tend to do this in LA, like LA is the center of the world, right? (laughs) So everyone must think like we do. And in office, we represent a lot of clients nationally and globally. And obviously that's not the case. So I would say, obviously you saw big tech set everyone home. They've all sent out announcements about when they're going to be calling people back. You know, the big banks in New York sent everybody home. They're all kind of trickling back. But so I would say it's it's less industry, more geography. We we've seen, you know, Texas stay in the office more. We've seen mm-hmm. Chicago stay in the office more. We've seen a ton in Florida. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of our New York team kind of migrated to Miami for the time being and was in the office there. So interestingly enough, I think that was more geographic. And I think some of those cities are going to have some lasting benefits to them because of because of that migration during during COVID when a lot of other places were shut down. Yeah, I was going to ask you about New York, right? Because there's this, you know, there's one narrative, which is the death of the cities. And, you know, I think multiple of those cities have gone through previous deaths and they've always come back. So, you know, maybe just like, you know, just like a little insight on New York, because it's very much a focus for, for people when they talk about what happened. I mean, to use a quote that's probably getting a little bit old now, but New York always comes back. They've been through the worst, I would say, if you look back uh, in time, some of the worst events that have happened have happened in New York and the city continues to thrive. So, and if you look at also just comparatively quickly, California, we actually dove into the analysis from the post office many of those people that were fleeing, quote unquote, California were actually moving within California. 94% were not actually leaving the state, they were moving within the state. And so for New York, look, there are a lot of our clients who didn't want to stay in the core urban city while all this was going on. Many of them have options to be elsewhere, suburbs, different states, surrounding, we talked about Florida, So we've seen activity come back in New York already. New York always tends to lead a little bit from a market standpoint, I feel like, at least for our business. And so I don't anticipate New York not coming back. It is a much bigger market. So they do have, you know, a lot of subway space on the market, but from a percentage standpoint, that's not dissimilar to to anywhere else. So let me me jump in and ask a, a quick question. What I'm trying to think about is the difference between you know, a tenant who probably has knowledge-based employees, right, that are, you know, haven't been terribly impacted in a negative way as it relates to COVID, as it relates to the company's ability to pay, they're still paying their leases just as they, they otherwise would, right? But on a going forward basis, a lot of the stories I hear anecdotally, whether it's professional services firms like law firms or investment bankers or private equity, you know, we have six floors in this building and people like have been working well remotely. And so we're going to go down to, to three or two, right? And, and is there a aggregate impact of enough groups making those types of decisions? And then, you know, the 
competition it creates between firms, like because a lot of people like to work remotely, right? How do you think about that in the office space on a going forward basis? There was a lot in there. So let me try and get all of it. But I think that first of all, we look, we are definitely seeing that. And I think that going forward, the majority of employees, like you said, the knowledge-based employees are not going to be in the office from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. or whatever crazy hours we were all working, whether we're in three days a week or three and a half days a week or whatever it is, there is still going to be an office presence, but it's not going to be what it was. And to that end, when we are in the office and this, I know we're going to talk about this later, so I won't dive into it too much now, but the way we work is going to be different. So what we're seeing designed is much more we, W-E space, as compared to what was previously all me space. So before every employee had a desk and then there was a ratio of how much we space that employee kind of went to from a space planning standpoint. Now we're seeing almost one-to-one from a me space to a we space. The me space might be shared because you might trade off with someone during the week. You might not have an assigned desk anymore, but we're going to see a significant increase in the amount of we space. So we are actually, I agree with you that many companies are saying, oh, we'll go from, to use your example, six floors down to two or three. I am of the belief that people are going to scale back too much, get everybody in the space, People are going to start coming back, maybe be there a little bit more than what we all kind of originally thought. I think re-entry is going to be a weird time. But once we get through it, I think that companies will realize maybe they gave back too much and that there will be some sort of kind of happy medium. We surveyed our clients. We got, I think, over 350 results last fall. And 80% of them anticipated needing about the same space, but laid out in a different way. And perhaps even in going from one office to five offices, depending on, you know, what market you're in. So I think, I think you're right. I think that will happen, but I think that will correct as we really start to understand the way in which we're going to work when we do go back to the office. Do you feel similarly about suburban office or when you speak about this, are you talking about like in LA or are you also talking about, you know, the areas outside? So when I talk about the hub and spoke model and maybe that, you know, that six floor tenant that becomes three floors, maybe they still are three floors in their urban core and maybe they have, you know, some, some hub and spoke other locations outside of there. When you talk about the suburban office, the hub and spoke model obviously isn't isn't really applicable. I mean, depending on which suburban market, but not as not as applicable. And in suburban markets, I actually think it will be easier to get back to the office because they aren't as impacted by travel, whether that be traffic or public transit. And so we, I think it will be the same type of culture from an office standpoint as to how they work from a workplace strategy standpoint in the suburban office. But I that obviously kind of negates the hub and spoke, the need for the hub and spoke. Yeah. So I, I would love to, to transition this, like you were saying, like, here's some of the, some of the trends. I think this is a really good place to, to go there. And I know you're so passionate about this, like design conversation and design as a measure of like, you know, I'm going to call it wellness because mental health has become such a huge topic. Finally, 
in work, right? Like finally it's being acknowledged. And so we'll call it wellness. We can call it productivity. I know that that was a, that's a really big piece of what you do. So, you know, let's talk about that a little bit and, and like what this is that you do and then how, how that is now being implemented in this new work, working world in the office. So I think when you think about office space, so many people have thought about it just as you have it, you have to have it. You know, a lot of the tech companies, I think, started this trend of using the office as a perk. And you saw all kind of other perks around that, whether it was free lunch or dry clean or bring your pets to the office, but really just just ploys to get people to work harder and longer hours and keep them in the office more. But if you look at the the line item of real estate costs, it's the it's the second highest to salaries. So you put all companies, most of them put all of this effort and all of this thought into their people. If you're paying that much for office space, why wouldn't you do the same when you can get so much out of space? At least it's our belief, so much out of space that can drive culture. And if you build out your space the right way, can actually promote culture better than almost anything really can. And so we were talking about this pre-COVID. Obviously, we've all said COVID kind of accelerated a lot of these trends. And so instead of going into companies when we were speaking with clients and saying, you know, how many people do you have? It was more of a question of who are you as a company? What is important to you? How do your employees want to work? How do they feel comfortable? How do they collaborate? What do they need in the space instead of just, okay, everybody needs a desk and we need a conference room and a kitchen. And so now I think we're looking at that even more because employers have to have a reason for employees to come back to the office. And I know that I am personally, our team is looking to come back to an office that's different than the one that we left for many of these same reasons. We're going to use the office to collaborate. We're going to have clients come in. We would have investors come in. We would use it as a showcase. We would use it as a lounge. We would use it to entertain eventually when that's safe to do again. For us, that's our culture. We're in sales. We're in the relationship business. We're in the people business. We're in the the talking business. And so our office should be a reflection of that. And we should be able to use the the layout and the design in order to promote that instead of just having a big sea of cubes where everyone feels lost. And so... That's some of what we were doing before. And I'm, it's, it's exciting that we get a chance to redesign because so many of our clients are coming to us saying, we either like our building or we don't. If we do, we probably want it to lay out differently. And if we don't, we also want a different building and we also want it to lay out differently. So I think we've all learned a lot over the last, you know, couple of years leading up to this. I think the days of 12,000 people packed into a sea of cubicles is over. Thank goodness for everyone, physical health and mental health. So I think it's very exciting to look at the office as more than just a place, but something that can actually build, build culture and build people and give back to, you know, that cost. Yeah. And as you're saying this, I'm going back to what you said before about, you know, it's, it's not company specific, but it's, it's geographic specific. So within some of these geographies or some of the things that you're seeing now, you know, what, what are some of the things that companies are doing maybe geographically, maybe not. So for example, I remember reading something that was saying employees will go back to the office less frequently, let's say, and that the office is going to be more of a social space 
than an actual workspace. Like that was one thing that, that I read. And so I wonder what you think of that. And also obviously what you're actually seeing being implemented. So I think we're just in this, like I said, we're kind of in this, the start of the re-entry phase. And I think everyone's starting to have these conversations and no one, no one really knows. We, I mean, we were, we, we, we host an episodic series called three good minutes. And we were talking about re-entry yesterday and everyone's sending out surveys and everyone's asking people questions. And I think the answer is no one knows yet. And I think this phase of not knowing is okay. I think last year people really wanted answers and in times of uncertainty, obviously we all look for answers, but I think the longer employers can let people kind of come back and figure it out and design to six months from now, rather than six weeks from now, I think that will do, that will go a long way to getting it right instead of getting it wrong and then making all these changes and spending money that maybe doesn't need to be spent. So most of our clients are in kind of, I'll call it the discovery phase right now of, of what they want to do for the ones that have already started making changes or looking at new space. I think the main thing we've seen is space was way too dense. So there was way, way too much, way too many people in space, not enough breakout rooms, not enough conference rooms, not enough private space, not enough soft seating where people could have casual meetings. So to that end, you know, we kind of are calling it like resi commercial, which I think is more, maybe a little bit more applicable than social. Obviously it's social, but it is a place to work. I think it will just have, the space will have more of a residential hospitality type overlay as opposed to just being, you know, like social, like going to a restaurant. So I kind of differentiate them that way. And look, we've all been working at home. There are part, there, there are things about working at home that we like. So I think you'll see some of those things make their way into offices. And how much of this, as you're speaking, I'm thinking about co-working and even though co-working was pretty packed at times too, but some of that resi was there with the couches and the different spaces. So is it going to look a little bit more like what was going on in co-working, do you think? I think yes, actually, to some extent. And, you know, everyone's got their qualms about co-working and everyone has a thousand things to say about WeWork. But look, we have we have clients who who, you know, came out of WeWork as five people and are now five hundred people. And like they 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 many of them is, have said they miss always having a conference room, always having a place to go, always having a place to go sit. So I think that part of the design aspect we work did to use them as an example, they did get right. And so I think more of that we type space, which is what we're talking about, will translate. And yeah, I do think there's kind of a, a V3 of co-working if, you know, the executive suite model is V1, this last go round was V2. There is, co-working does serve a purpose and for growing companies and especially coming out of times of uncertainty when clients maybe don't want to sign or commit to five, seven, 10 year leases, co-working does, does create a solution for that, I think they also just have to make modifications as well from a density standpoint, but I think the two will, will, will mutually benefit each other. And so when you were even pre COVID and now going into it, I remember you had some really good insights about the way that a company might design a space for just like maximum, 
I don't want to use the word productivity because it's so linear, but just for, for, for the team's happiness, for their, for their wanting to work. I remember there, there were some things you were saying about the way that you want to set spaces up specifically to facilitate certain kind of work. And so can you talk a little bit about some of those general practices and like how, how those have impacted the clients that were working with you even pre COVID because, you know, those kind of case studies are there. And are you saying how people were working before COVID or when they're coming back to the office, how are we designing space so that they can work more? Well, I guess you're right. It's not productivity. It's more just in line with how they want to actually work. Yeah. I mean, I guess if that's changed, then let's talk about how you're designing for that today. I look, I'm not an architect. And so we're, and I, and I think that's what, you know, when we say we're kind of in that discovery phase. Yeah we are seeing a lot of clients pick back up on requirements that maybe they left off, maybe that they, you know, weren't sure about. And I think there are still a lot of, a lot of questions about, like Daniel said, how often people will be in the office, you know, what that looks like in LA. I think you can make the argument for, you know, people preferring a hub and spoke model, depending on the type of company I don't know what your commute was before this or what it would be going back, but we've seen a lot of people in LA really focused on drive time recently. And so if you look at the hub and spoke model and you do it geographically, I know it's kind of going on a tangent from your question, but maybe you get people in an office that normally wouldn't work together. Maybe if you had three floors, but you break that into East side, West side, South Bay, You've got a West side office where it's all different departments. It's all different people. You've got collaboration happening. You've got relationships being fostered that way. That is different than what companies are used to. And it may be a little bit uncomfortable and it may, you know, it may take a little while to adopt, but that is something I see happening. And I think for like, for me specific, like personally to talk to this, I used to have an office. It was an inbound office. I would go, meaning not on the window line. I would go in in the morning. I would close my door. I would, you know, work all day. I would come out occasionally to talk to people or go to the bathroom or get coffee. And it was pretty isolating, I realized, and not dissimilar from what I was doing, what I have been doing at home. So how do you especially kind of bring people into an office environment where they're not going back to what they were doing before, if it wasn't working. And for some it was, but I think for many, we've realized there's a better way. And so I think that requires a lot more understanding of employees. And I think this also ties to just the general health of people, mental health, physical health, letting people have a say in how they want to work, which was never really the case. You got a job, you were told where you were going to sit. So I hope actually that this is a catalyst for a little bit of change around what people really want and need instead of just being told, this is the company, this is the culture, this is how you work and letting the individual employees have a little bit of a a stamp, I guess, on on company culture, which is going to bring about some probably really great creativity and uniqueness and collaboration and innovation, I think. Yeah, I think so too. I think it's really important what you said about companies including their employees in this new design in, you know, in coming back to the office and entering a workspace. And yeah, like in LA thinking about like if you had basically like mini 
headquarters everywhere that have that have multiple functions in you know in different locations it still allows probably for a more just like a more overall collaborative model instead of you know the finance department everybody driving to one part of town if that were the case or just one big building that's like roughly triangulated between everywhere that you could that you can go so i think it's going to be really interesting how that how that all plays out and and i don't know if if you know this if this comes through with your work but i'm kind of curious to talk a little bit about the mental health aspect and the wellness aspect and how if and how companies if you're seeing them acknowledge this in the return to work like if they're consciously like specifically taking that into account as we do this return to the office I think the first thing that's kind of easy to talk about as it relates to that is vaccines and everyone's position on vaccine policy. I mean, we've seen some smaller companies say by a matter of practice, we're just not going to go back until everyone's vaccinated. To me, that implies everyone on their teams are willing to get vaccinated. And we won't get into that today because that's not what any of us are here to talk about. That would take all day. So, but when you look at, you know, we get a survey you know, I think it's every week from our HR department saying, you know, where are you? I think everyone's trying to gauge that piece of it, what people are comfortable with. And I think that, I don't think there's enough focus on mental health yet. I think it will be interesting to see when everyone actually is back to work. I know for the first time on our team, we've been getting together, you know, once a week throughout most of this to try and stay connected. And for the first time ever, one of our team members was not feeling great. He had a cold. And normally it's like he would have come to the office and we probably all would have gotten sick. And we were like, no, you know, you stay home. Don't feel bad. Don't feel like you have to come in. So I think that shift will impact mental health in a positive way of not feeling like you can't just take a day off. You know, I think the U.S. has not really done well with that mindset in kind of big, big corporate America. So I think those are kind of some, some easy parts of it, but as far as, you know, really diving into what people need from a mental health and wellness standpoint, I do think we have a ways to go. I've seen a lot of, obviously, and I'm sure you have too, investment and innovation in the space. So I do think in the startup world, we are going to start to see a lot of resources coming out that people can hopefully you know, rely on or companies can, can use for their employees. So I'm hopeful that we're getting there, but I think we, we all need some, everyone needs some help. And I think we'll need to rely on some kind of third-party resources that I think are in the works. Quick, quick question out of the, the clients that, you know, you work with, you know, how many of them are, you know, back in the office kind of full steam or parts team? Like what's the transition been like and what do you expect? Like what should people think about over the next three, six, 12 months? So utilization in LA is right about 20 to 30%. If you look at office building. So it's, it's pretty low. If you look at other markets around the country, it is a little bit higher We've got clients that have gone back in Vegas. They've gone back in Texas. They've gone back in, like we were saying, in Chicago, in Florida. And so, and obviously those kind of tie to those state stances on COVID. So that makes sense. LA, I think we are all eyeing this June 15th date to see if that actually happens. If the city reopens, what that means. 
I think, and obviously most of big tech, which tends to drive a lot of how we all make decisions these days in probably more ways than it should. Many have said it's, you know, either midsummer or, or kind of Labor Day. Apple, Google, Amazon have all started to come out with kind of dates in those timeframes. So for the next three months, April, May, June, kind of July into summer, I think it will be a continued kind of slow, let's figure out who wants to come back. Let's figure out, you know, if people are getting vaccinated, let's figure out what that looks like. I think in the next six months, taking us until after Labor Day, I think we will see a start of what this is going to look like kind of on a go forward basis. So whatever this hybrid model is, I think you'll start to see, you know, there's gonna be 10% of people that work from home forever, 10% that work in the office full time, probably around 75% that are in some sort of hybrid model. So I think we'll start to see that develop. And then, you know, nine months, one year from now, my guess is people will start to find their stride. Hopefully, I mean, LAUSD is really kind of bungled this whole school schedule thing. So I know a lot of families here are struggling with school schedules and childcare. And so hopefully kids are back in school on a, a normal basis in September. So that's definitely a gating issue here. So, you know, I think that the next three months are gonna be just a little bit anemic. We'll start to get into our stride in six and nine to 12. We've probably got some semblance of what this whole thing looks like for the, the new normal as they call it. Yeah, I think I was thinking we'll we'll have you back in like a year and then we could talk about we've done that with a couple guests where where it was like last year, the beginning of COVID and like coming back around and because you know nothing nothing went the way anybody expected. And so it's so interesting now as things are starting, you know, symbolically too, I guess it's springtime and you can really feel that coming through and people wanting to get out and all this pent up demand and, you know, this June 15th target for, for LA, like all of that. So it'll, it'll be really interesting to see how that all, how that all pans out. And so what I wanted to do now is get into the, to the final piece of the podcast and, and ask you some, just some questions we ask all of our guests. And, you know, we've touched on a lot of like the mental health stuff, which was great. Cause it, like, like we were saying, it's so important that that's come through. And, you know, I want to kind of touch on like wealth and, and wealth building and specifically like, what does wealth mean to you and like in your, in your life? So look, I think there's kind of two parts to wealth. And I think part of it is I'll call it tangible wealth, supporting my family, being able to have a life that, you know, we all love and appreciate. And that brings us a lot of joy. And for me, that includes traveling and, you know, being able to have a flexible work schedule and being able to provide for those things and while doing those things. So I think tangible wealth obviously is, is one piece of it. And I don't know how woo woo the, the audience that's listening is out of I know, I know we've talked about this, but look, the other piece of wealth for me is manifesting my dreams, be it in, in a, in a work environment in a built environment to me, space is very tangible. So I can see a real return on that, which I like, but also being able to really understand that we all can impact our life directly just by, just by putting it out there, whether it's, you know, wanting a different office environment or, wanting a new house or wanting to understand ourselves spiritually, whatever that is. So for me, I kind of break down wealth into, into two parts. I'll call it like lifestyle, tangible wealth, and then spiritual wealth, which can mean 
all kinds of things that for me has been a big focus the last couple of years and something that COVID gave, I think, a lot of us a lot of space to discover if we hadn't already and maybe a little bit more support and just focus. It's a bigger part of the conversation than it's ever been. So to me, that's really exciting. Yeah, I agree. I think I definitely have seen that with COVID, this return inside for everybody. Like it really, really caused people to, to look inside maybe for the first time in their lives and, and seek, see outside of themselves, what was going on so unconsciously because the world was running with, you know, it was just, that's just the way it was. And I remember thinking, I can't see how this is ever going to change. And then, you know, it all was like a full stop. And then all of a sudden we were all with ourselves and, and just being able to like really go in there. And and what I've noticed too, in a lot of conversations, and I'm sure you have too, is, is a bit of a return to meaning and like what's meaningful to us. And then how do we express that meaning? And it can be expressed through work. And I know for you, you, you know, it really seems like you found meaning in what you do and it's like applied meaning. So it's like the application of like, we can call them like spiritual personal values into a very tangible form that has a positive impact on other people. Yeah, I think that's been, it's been nice to kind of blend the two worlds. And I think like anything, the more you put out there, the more you realize people are either, you know, appreciative of or looking for this kind of missing piece of so many people's puzzles, or they're already there on their own path. But yeah, I think the currency of kind of human nature really has changed in the last 13 months. I think what was, what was important 13 months ago, many of it's still important, but I think just what we value and what employers value and, you know, what families value is is probably a little bit different. And I hope that we don't just go back to what it was before. You know, I think we're in this unique time of being able to look forward and make real change as opposed to looking back and, you know, just going back to the office and doing the same old thing. So I was on a run the other morning and there were a lot less walkers. I was like, oh, well, I hope not everyone's given up their fresh air and, the, and their morning walks. I hope everyone's still walking. But yeah, I think the currency has changed and I think it'll be interesting to see how we all stick with that and all of these kind of newfound values many of us have proclaimed when it's easier to get distracted again. So We'll see. Yeah, very true. Well, I hope so too. I hope that, you know, the, the changes that get implemented are so beneficial in our personal experience of work and, and, you know, and everything that one wants work to accomplish, right. Even for the employer. And, and so hopefully it sticks because it works because there's an effectiveness to it, that it can be tied to productivity, but it's because from the personal place, it's a, it's a place of, I want to do this because I feel good here because I have a different relationship with my employer. I have a better relationship with the space, with my time, with my life. And so I know that that's, that's my hope going forward as, as, as you're saying. Well, and that, yeah. And I think that ties it all together, right? We, you know, we've talked about how built space can, can give back. So you're spending all this money on it. If, if people can be truly happy, you're going to you're going to get returns in other ways. You're going to save money on turnover. You're going to keep people longer. The the average, you know, Gen Z 
definition of loyalty may go from 12 months, which is what it is now, hopefully to like five years or, or something. So I think it really gives companies the ability to see returns in other areas. And if people are feeling good, you know, I think there's, there's so much more we can all, we can all do with that energy and that space. So why not go do it? I love it. I love it. Well, Jennifer, thank you so much for being with us today, for sharing like all these insights. It's so interesting and it's very optimistic. And, and I hope that everybody will take that away and also take away like those who have companies who are thinking about going back to the office, like really be thinking about this and, and how that can be, how that can be implemented. And, you know, we're going to include links in the show notes to where people can contact you if, if they want to. I know you have like your design company, you have new mark you have so many amazing things going on so we'll include all of those links and again just just huge gratitude for you thank you so much for for coming on today thank you guys both for having me thanks for tuning in to real wealth real health we hope that you've enjoyed today's episode and found it both informative and insightful we welcome all your questions and your feedback about today's episode and especially we welcome your questions about specific topics that you would like us to cover. So shoot us an email at podcast at alphai.com. And if you have a moment, we really appreciate ratings and reviews as it helps us grow our online community and our interactions with you. And we'll also be linking to a number of relevant articles on topics that we might have touched on during our conversations. Some of them are broad, some of them are technical, but we're always aiming to provide information that helps you better understand the mechanics of building this healthy financial foundation, especially if you're looking to do this with real estate. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>